Hello to all of our friends at Two Rivers Church. I want to tell you that we love you guys. We love Pastor Will, Crystal. Thank you guys for being a, a part of what we're doing here at the stadium. It's called Come Home to Hope, and I know you guys are bringing some people there, and we just, uh, we're excited about it because a lot of times people that may not go to a church, they'll come to a baseball stadium, and that's the whole thought, maybe to give some tickets to some friends, load them up on those tour buses, and hopefully they'll get planted there right at Two Rivers. But I know this, you're a, you're a part of a great church. Pastor Will and Crystal, they want to help you become who God's created you to be. So I hope you'll stay faithful there. And Pastor Will, thanks again for all your friendship and your support of the ministry. Thank you, Pastor. Joel. Thank you. Awesome. Everybody, I want to welcome you to Two Rivers Church. Who's glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Yes, so good to be with you. My name is Will. If I haven't met you, I'm the lead pastor here at Two Rivers Church. And I believe that God's going to do something good in our lives right now. I want you to take a second. I want you to look right at me. I'm going to look right at you. And I want you to hear this from the bottom of my heart, that I love you. I care about you. I've been praying for you and as we are in this week, we are starting a brand new series called Summertime. Who loves the summer in New York? Come on, somebody. That's a, that's a really good time. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them there's nothing better than summer in New York. We made the mistake last summer. We, my family and I, we did a cross-country tour in the month of July. We ended up in Florida for two weeks, and we decided that was for the birds. Don't ever leave New York in the summer. Go down in like January or February, March, but those are good months. This is the time to be in New York, y'all. Well, one of the things I love in the summertime, I love barbecues. I love hanging out with friends. I love sort of the longer days. We get a little more sunlight. I feel like vitamin D is a big help for us here in New York. You get that extra little bit where you're like, okay, we have that seasonal, uh, sad, seasonal affective disorder. I can't remember what it's called, but it basically makes you sad, and, and we just need some more sunlight, so it's great to have that. One of the things that I, I love about the summertime is at growing up, I would go to something called camp. And we would go for, for the church that I grew up in, we would go to kids camp, and then we'd go to teen camp. Now, if you're at Two Rivers Church in Binghamton, you know the air conditioner don't work so good. So you might sweat a little. I'm going to sweat a lot right now. I'm gonna, by the end of the, this, mo this time together, I'm going to have a full sweat working. Well, camp... I was sweat, like we, we didn't have air conditioning at camp. We just had like a, a, a barn door that would open and, and then you would hope that the breeze would come in and, and alleviate some of the sweltering heat. 
But we would all go together. We'd play all day. We'd run around. We'd go swimming. We'd do all this kind of stuff. But then at, at night, we'd get together. We'd start singing these songs. And, of course, at camp, they'd sing all the songs that were like the hype songs. We'd all be jumping. You want to talk about sweating. And as kids, I didn't care. Like, I, I, I know I'd put on so, all this cologne because the girls might be in the room. And be like, oh, I might meet a girl. And, but then I would sweat so bad. It was like, I don't know why I put any cologne on. And I wasn't. I, I never could keep myself from, from like, I'm just I'm going to have fun. I'm not as worried about trying to meet the girls. And, and what would happen, though, would then, after we do worship, somebody would get up and they'd preach. And every camp year, they would preach. Somebody would preach the first night about salvation. And everybody who came who didn't know Jesus would come down to the altars and they'd get saved. The second night, they'd, they'd preach repentance. Get your life right with God. And so everybody who's sort of saved, I like to say sort of saved, they just weren't sure what they were doing with their life, but they weren't really following Jesus, so they'd all come to the altars and repent. Then the third night, we'd do the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And, and now everybody would come around the altars, and, and people would start, there'd be some supernatural stuff that was taking place. And you'd start seeing people crying. And, of course, every night, by the third night, some of the people that didn't go to the altars the first night for salvation, they finally made their way. And then so they'd come forward for repentance finally. And by the fourth night, they would do the calling into the ministry. And, and, they, and they would all, every year they'd do the fourth night. would be, And then the fifth night was like all the above. If you didn't come any of the other nights, you better get back down here now because this is your last chance. You're going to go out of here and you're going to go back. You're going to go to your school. You're going to go to your home. You're going to go back to your church. And you're going to go back to business as usual. And if you don't respond right now, this is, this is your chance to get it right. Now, as hokey as that sort of was, this consistent rhythm, I met God at camp. Every year I'd go down around the altars and I'd have this encounter with Jesus and Jesus would begin speaking to me. And, 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 and when I would go down to repent, I would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on my life. Telling me to get right. To get the sin out of my life. To live pure. Because I, I didn't just want to have the sin gone. I wanted to be near Jesus. That I would begin to have this encounter with God. That would, and it didn't matter that it was super hot. It didn't matter that I was sweaty. It didn't matter that, that everyone else was kind of doing whatever their thing was. Because when I started to have an encounter with Jesus, everything else would fade away. And, and, and I would get where I just wanted to be with Jesus. And, and what happened was as I got closer to Jesus, Jesus would reveal himself to me. And then I would become hungry for more of what he had. So then, of course, you'd go leave camp. You'd go back to home, and you'd be like, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to live for Jesus now. And I'd go back to my church, and they didn't do it the same way. They didn't preach that way, and they, they didn't go to the altars that way. And it was sort of like business as usual. I'd get all angsty about it as a teenager. Like, why don't these people really go hard for the Lord? What's going on here? Nobody is passionate about Jesus. Nobody really wants to serve him. And over time, I've discovered, you know, there's, there's something really beautiful about the staying power that I find in the saints. That, you know, because what I would do is I'd get all angsty. I'd get upset. Nobody's passionate about Jesus. And a couple months later, I wouldn't really be following Jesus anymore. 
Y'all tracking me? I had some excuse about how they weren't really loving Jesus, so therefore I'm going to not. You know, I'd, I'd kind of look at other believers and decide that my encounter with Jesus was going to be interpreted through how I thought other people were living. And what, what I would lose sight of was Jesus. I think it's possible for us as believers that we get around other Christians, we get into a church context, we get to where we, I'm reading the word, I get to where I'm doing my day-to-day life, I get to where I've adopted a certain moral belief or a moral standard. But maybe it's possible that you've gone for a long time, maybe you're not really even running from God, But it's possible that you haven't had an encounter with Jesus. That where your eyes have gotten on to some other thing. And and in the process of that, what it looks like to follow Christ, we say we're following Christ. But what, what ends up happening is we get caught up in other things. The trappings of the church. What what did the way the pastor talk about the money? What was the way that sister so-and-so said to the other sister, I didn't like that? You know, because she said it like that, I don't know if this is a real church. I don't know if this, and then I start, I become, I, I, I went to Bible college and I learned how to judge every message. I started measuring every preacher. How many scriptures did he preach? He didn't use the word the way I think he ought to use the word. Uh, they're, probably, they're probably all like marquee, top-of-the-line preachers, but to my freshman Bible college knowledge, I was really putting them under the gun. But what happened, I discovered was, I, create, I discovered I had a critical heart, a critical spirit that I was carrying. And when I was critical, I was no longer receiving. Now, certainly we're supposed to judge and We're supposed to uh, measure the fruit and all those types of things in our lives. But what I discovered actually was happening in my heart wasn't that I was fulfilling the word. I discovered that I was using the word in a way that didn't bring life to me anymore. I wasn't focused on Jesus. I wasn't having an encounter with Jesus anymore. We can be hearers of the word. We can even be doers of the word, but not have Jesus in our life, in a relational way. Certainly the Pharisees, they all listened to the word. They were very diligent to do the word. But they were missing something in their life that was radically important. I want us to look in the scriptures today in in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. We're going to talk about this summer what it looks like to live in the fullness of God. So today, I want to talk to you about positioning yourself for an encounter with God. That I had to go to camp so so that all of the television was taken away, all of my normal routines were taken away, and and all day long we would kind of get Bible lessons and all those types of things. But camp really put me in a position to have an encounter with God. And and what we did sort of artificially each year, I find I need to do in my life to this day. I need to position myself 
to have an encounter with God. Now, it's interesting because I, I grew up in the charismatic world where, where we were kind of like what you call revival chasers or people running looking for where the next outpouring of God's blessing was going to be. And we would pray prayers like this. Oh, God, would you reveal yourself to us, please? Would you send your outpouring? Would you send your presence? Would you send your rain? As though God didn't want to. Like I discovered over time that actually we were praying prayers that were silly. Not because God doesn't want to withhold himself from us. Jesus died on the cross so that you and I could be in relationship with the Father. He died, he gave, he went the distance. The problem is not that God is trying to withhold himself from us or keep himself from us. The problem is almost always that we have removed ourselves from being able to be receptive to the outpouring of God's presence. And so oftentimes the prayer should shift from, God, would you reveal yourself to me, to God, would you help me to be receptive to you? Would you help my heart to shift? Would you help my heart to change? Would you help me to discover you and see you for who you are? In Luke chapter 24, verse 13, you see, after Jesus has been crucified, he rises again on the third day. In that morning, he appears to Peter and to, to the women at the tomb. They go back and they tell everyone, hey, Jesus has risen from the dead. Well, we pick up with a couple of disciples. They're walking on the road to Emmaus. And they're probably somewhere around seven miles away. And here's what, what it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. I love this. This is interesting to me because the disciples are actually walking away from Jesus here. They're actually leaving Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. They're like kind of running. We don't know exactly why they're going to Emmaus, but I know where the Lord was, and I know what should be happening. And in this sense, the disciples are walking away. And Jesus appears to them, and it says in verse 16 that he was hidden to them. And I find that interesting because that's what can happen to us so often. We can actually be walking with Jesus and not be aware of his presence. We can be walking with Jesus wants to walk. The Bible says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you to the very end. So inside of that, what's happening is, as believers, Jesus is walking with us, but am I aware of his presence? Am I aware of who he is? Am I aware of what he's doing in my life? Because what happens is, when you become aware of Jesus, everything changes. Your life begins to shift. Your focus changes. What, you, what you're running after changes. 
We begin to sing songs like, take this world, but give me Jesus. Like, you, what profiteth a man to gain the whole world, but lose his soul? I want Jesus more than anything in this life. Because Jesus is all-encompassing. He is the, the apple of our eye. He's the rose of Sharon. Jesus is the first and the last, the bright in the morning star. He, Jesus becomes everything. And in that, when we discover who Jesus is, we say, wow, that's amazing. In the, in the moments, if you've ever had an encounter with Jesus, the moments you've been in the presence of Jesus, you say, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. This is wonderful. I've watched people weep in the presence of the Lord. Just their lives are just, they're being poured out. You're like, why are they weeping? And you ask them, what's the matter? And they're like, this is the most beautiful thing that's ever happened. They're overcome with the presence of the Lord. And it's the most beautiful, wonderful thing. They're weeping. Weeping in the presence of the Lord. Jesus is, they're having an encounter with God. So here the disciples are on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is walking with them. They're sort of walking away from God. And I want to walk us through a few things that will help us. It says in verse 30, when he's at the table, what happened was he goes through them. He asked them all the things that they were up to. And, and they said, well, I'll tell you about Jesus. How do you not know about all these events that happened? They're they like astounded that they weren't, they were just confused as to what all was happening. And then Jesus started to convince them of the scriptures. He started to teach them from the word. He started to show them, this is what the prophets said. And he walked with them all day long. At the end of the day, they said, he was getting ready to walk on. I love this. There's a little tidbit where it says, Jesus was going to keep on walking. Sort of like, I want you to invite me to something. And, and they take the bait and they say, no, nah, don't go on any further. I want you to, I, I wonder if he was wanting to see, like, did, did they understand what they were asking for? Would they, would they invite me to the table? So that's what they do. They invite him to dinner. He sits down at the table with them. And in verse 30, it says, when he's at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Now, they would have been around when he's done that before, where he broke the bread at the Lord's Supper. He said, look, I, I'm eager to do this. I'm not going to do this with you again until after I've met with the Lord. Like, I, 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 I want to do this. So here he is. He's breaking bread with them the way he did at the Last Supper. And in verse 31, it says, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. So wild, like, okay, now their eyes are opened, and then all of a sudden, they, they, Jesus disappears from them. And I love this verse in, in verse 32. It says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And one of the evidences of Jesus, your heart burns within you. As you begin to read the word, the word of God becomes alive in us. And the word of God becomes sustenance. And the word of God becomes life. And, and, and some of the prophets, they said, this word is like food to me. 
What they're talking about is what Jesus claims that he is. He says, I am the bread of life. That actually, he's the word. If you read the beginning of John, it says, the word was with God, the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is so interesting to see Jesus breaking open the scriptures because he's the word incarnate. And he's making the word alive in the disciples' lives. And that's what we want. We want God to encounter me. God, I don't want to just see the words on the page. I want those words to be alive in my heart, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And this is what Jesus does to the disciples. So I want to talk for real briefly about what it looks like for us to position ourselves, to be in that place where we can have that encounter with Jesus. So number one, you can fill this in, that what we're wanting to do is spend time. You're going to need time to be with Jesus. Here's what the scripture says. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. That in our culture, time is one of the most distracting things That's around us. That actually we need to create stillness. We need to create some space. We need to create some capacity to spend with Jesus. Now here's what happens. i got to confess this at Two Rivers Church. If I'm not careful, I'll say, you know what? I want to do an hour and 15 minutes. Don't let it be an hour and 16. We're going to do an hour and 15. That's the amount of time that God gets for me. And then I'm going to go do the rest of my Sunday. I might come in, we do our three songs, we listen to the word, we go to the response song, but boy, when he dismisses, I'm out of here. And we can get in a rhythm, we can get in a routine where we say, I did my God thing. I did the thing for God, but did I meet with Jesus? At Two Rivers, our, our mission is to transform the world by leading people to Jesus. My greatest prayer for you today that you wouldn't just come and participate, that you wouldn't just come and be in the room. My greatest prayer for you, I want you to hear this. I want you to look right at me. My greatest prayer for you is that in all that we do, you would discover Jesus, that you would have an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that whatever shame you're carrying, whatever burdens you're carrying, whatever anxieties you're carrying, whatever is on your schedule would take second place to discovering who Jesus is. That if you would just take and create a little bit of time, if you would say, I want to walk with you, Jesus. I want to look into the scriptures. I want to discover who you are. There's things that I don't understand. I don't know why this bad thing happened. I don't get why that thing went the way that it went. I don't know what's going on with my family. I don't know why my kids are rebelling. I don't know what's happening at my workplace that my boss is doing the things that he's doing. And we can be like the disciples who are wondering what is happening now. And in that, if we carve out some time, we carve out some space, we discover that Jesus is actually walking with us. And that if we would give him a little bit of time, we'd give him a little bit of space, more than just the routine, we'd wake up to the reality. He's trying to walk with me. As we get into the scriptures, our hearts begin to burn with us and we have an encounter with him. 
So we got to create that space in our life that's more than just the routine, more than just I've done my duty for God. It's that I'm here now in this sacred space, in this sacred time, and I've carved out all of these other things, and we're trying to let all this, and I'm not just looking at what the music's doing and the lights and how Sister So-and-So's raising her hands and whatever that is. It's all of the distracting things. I'm giving Jesus my time. Number two is questioning. Questioning. Jesus, after the resurrection, we see story after story of Jesus revealing himself to those who are doubters. That actually questioning isn't this, oh my gosh, I have these questions about God, and now I'm never going to be able to be in an encounter with God because God doesn't like those who are doubters. On that same day, the two of them, they're walking away from Christ and he's walking with them. They're talking about and discussing all of these events and they don't understand all of it. But Jesus reveals himself to them. He reveals himself to Thomas. He reveals himself to Peter. He reveals himself to the disciples who are all like, this is insane. People don't rise from the dead. This is craziness, and he reveals himself to all the doubters. And so God looks at the doubts that we carry and the questions that we have, and it's actually positioning us for an encounter with him, that he wants to reveal himself to those who are questioning. He walks along with us in those moments. So number three is desperation. Desperation. You want to position yourself for an encounter with God. There's a level of desperation. I love this, the story of blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus is in, he hears about this man Jesus who can perform miracles. And he hears that Jesus is coming by and he begins to yell, Son of David! Son of David! Hey! Hey, over here! Over here, he's not going to let Jesus go by, except that he attract the attention of the Savior. Like everybody else, they can, like they can get out of my way. I've got to get to Jesus. I've got to have him heal me. I gotta, like, if there's a chance that he'll look at me, if there's a chance that he'll, he'll see me, if there's a chance that he can heal me, i got to do what i got to do. And so Jesus is always, he's, he's looking, there's people that are desperate. I'm in the middle of a, a, a crisis in my life. There's somebody that's dying. There's someone that is, that is getting divorced. There's someone that's in the middle of depression. There's something that's happening, and I need Jesus. And what I see is all through Scripture, when, when there's people that are weeping before the Lord, Jacob goes into the presence of God, he begins to weep. This idea, grown men are weeping before the Lord. Grown men, Isaiah gets into the presence of God. He says, woe is me, I'm undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips. There's a desperation that settles on people's lives. And in those moments of desperation, I like to say it like this, you can either have your deliverance or you can have your dignity. Like you can have one or the other, but most of the time God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That there is this willingness to be vulnerable before God, that I need to have an encounter with Jesus. 
we're not going to have a tearless move of God. That there's something about being in the presence of God. It just, it begins to, we begin to melt in his presence. Number four is worship. The scripture says that, that he inhabits the praises of his people. And I, I pray this over to Rivers Church. I long for this, for your life, that as you come in and we begin to worship, we do, we do a rhythm of worship. We start out with, with like a celebration song because we enter into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We also sort of enter in like, like it ought to be fun. They said it was, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. There ought to be some joy in the house of the Lord. There ought to be some fun in the house of the Lord. It's not just all weeping. But there's a flow that takes place. There's a dynamic that takes place, and I like to say if they'll laugh with you, they'll cry with you. That God, he begins to touch our emotions, and he begins to touch our hearts. And, and worship is this dual reaction where, where I am giving my affection to God, and, and I'm inviting the presence of God into my life. And at the same time, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. God then invites us into his presence. There's a corporate reality that takes place. That I'm not, the Bible says God is always with us. He's always present. He's always near. But I become aware of his presence. I become aware of who he is as I draw near to him in worship. Worship is more than just singing songs. Worship is this heart adoration. And I don't just go through the motions of saying words and, wow, that was fun, and I clapped, and, but I want that my Jesus hears me tell him, I love you, Jesus. I'm so thankful for what you did. You redeemed me. I was lost. I was broken. But now I'm found. I'm clean. I'm, I'm redeemed. And then when we get to give, we get to, we get to give him our finances as worship. We get to, obedience is worship. It's an expression of my heart to God. And it, and it moves past the form of things into the heart of things. And I got like, to get past all of the crowd and everybody else. When you look at the order of the temple, it goes from the outer court to the inner court to the holy of holies. And you'll discover that the outer courts, there's all kinds of people. And then you get to the inner courts and you discover there's fewer people allowed. And then you get to the Holy of Holies and there's really only one. Now God has torn the veil and, and, and made his presence available to us all. But what I believe about that is this, that there's some that will stay in the outer court in their worship of the Lord. They never make it into the place where they discover intimacy with God, where they discover Jesus becomes the apple of my eye. So it's this love song to God, it's this lifestyle of consistent communion. We want to do that together as a church. Number five is prayer. Prayer, I don't know how we could position our lives for an encounter with God that we don't talk to God. Prayer is the language of faith. We begin to pray what we believe. You declare the scriptures in your life. But intimacy is simply this, it's time together sharing inner things. That prayer has to move beyond my list 
has to move beyond the things that I declare. Those things are wonderful, but I'm telling you, when you begin to pray in a way where you're saying, Jesus, this is what's going on in my heart, I don't even want you right now. My heart is hard. My heart is messed up. I've been pursuing the things of this world, and I want to want you, but I don't actually want you. I need to confess all of my junk, and I want, like, I have to bring you into the innermost parts of my being. Search me, oh God, and see if there be anything in me. And these are the types of ways that we pray where we go beyond this place where it's just, well, God, thank you for this meal. Amen. Well, we prayed today. I did my Christian duty. That's not what God, that's not going to, the kind of prayer that positions us for an encounter with God is the kind of prayer where we begin to open our hearts and invite him in to that inner space. And then number six, I don't know any other better word to position our lives for an encounter with God than the word repentance. Repentance is an invitation from God to right living so that we can be with God. Repentance reconnects our hearts back to God's heart. That what's happening in my life, the Bible says that sin, it enslaves, it ensnares, it entangles, it blinds us. That actually what happens, sin begins to harden our hearts. That sin puts us in a position, if God is always trying to reveal himself to me, then what is the thing that's keeping me from being receptive to his encounter? Is that my heart is so easily distracted. My heart gets caught up in the things of this world. My heart, the Bible says that you got to guard your heart because it's wicked and deceitful. That actually we, we don't follow our hearts. It's one of the worst advice in many ways to follow your heart. And, and what the Bible's really saying there is follow your flesh heart. Because there's a heart, as you read through the scriptures, there is a God-given heart. That's the voice of the Spirit in us bringing us to life. But the scriptures teach that there's a flesh heart. That if you follow your flesh heart, it, you're going to be in a ditch. So I lead my heart. And the way I lead my heart is I repent. This word repentance is, there's a heart condition that's connected to it, but it's metanoia. It means to change my way of thinking. And if I change my way of thinking, then what comes is a change in direction. We see the disciples, they're on the road to Emmaus. They're actually walking away from Christ. They're walking away from where he is, and he goes to walk with them. And he begins to share the scriptures where they're confused, and he begins to open up the word of God into their life. They're positioned for an encounter with Jesus, and they finally say, hey, don't go away, stay with us, stay with us. And he gets to the point where he breaks bread with them, has communion. When you dig into what communion is in the word, communion is this moment where you examine your life, in the light of who Christ is. What has Jesus done for me? Has Jesus forgiven me? Yes, he's forgiven me because he, he gave his life on the cross. And when I eat that bread, it's, it's, I eat the bread and I know it was me. That I put him there. I broke his body. And when I take the cup and I, I drink the juice, I feel the, 
covering. It begins to coat me. It's the blood of Jesus that's washing away my sins. And I come into a place where I say, God, I don't want to live the way I'm living anymore. I want to live because I'm beginning to experience the love of Jesus in my life. I'm beginning to experience his, his, his forgiveness and his grace. And he did all of this for me. And I want to turn and I want to live for him. And when you do that, what happens is your Jesus begins to show up. It's the greatest prayer that I have for you. Repent. Turn to Jesus. Turn away from our sins. You'll discover life more abundantly. You'll discover life that's renewed in him. So you want to position yourself for an encounter with Jesus. You want to position yourself to be in the presence of God. Do all these things, recognize that God wants to be with you. God wants to draw near to you. God is not withholding himself from any one of us. And not one of us is too far gone. Not one of us is beyond his redeeming grace. When he loves every one of us with an everlasting love. And if you simply surrender to him, he'll reveal himself to you. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want you to close your eyes. Jesus, I pray over our respond time. I pray over the next few minutes that we would have encounters with you. We'd begin to have our hearts convicted and our lives would be changed. And you'd lead us and you'd guide us into all truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.